London Underground, London Underground. Isn't the words going underground? Is it? Is is actually? I've been singing London Underground all week. Welcome to another episode of Two Guys, One Topic. I'm Ollie. And I'm Liam, and I've been singing that song wrong my whole life. For those of us that don't know, or if we've got any new listeners, each episode we just take a topic that we know very little about, and we give ourselves a week to read and research all about it, with the idea being that we share what we feel are the most important pieces of information with you, our listeners. Yes, that is exactly what we do. And so everybody knows we are not experts in anything that we talk about. This is just a summary of our findings. And hopefully by sharing some knowledge with you, we can all learn a little bit more about a whole lot of things. Yeah, so this week was my choice. So I got to pick anything in the whole wide world to talk about. And I have chosen that our topic this week is the London Underground. Liam, this week was your choice. As you just said, you had anything in the world that you could have chosen and you decided to pick the London Underground. Do you want to tell us why you decided to pick that and what you knew about it before our research? I've got no idea. I don't really know why I picked it. I think I was watching something on the telly and somebody went into the London Underground and I, you know, like you just Google stuff. Right? And I thought, oh, actually, this would be quite interesting to learn about. And I think I know. What, what I mean, I've been on it loads of times. I know it's all different colours and it travels around London and you tap your card in and tap your card out. But I mean, I, I don't know a lot about it. I'm not a train, what's, what's it called, a train buff? Enthusiast. Train enthusiast? I, yeah, I don't, I don't really know anything about it. I've been on it loads of times. But <laughs> uh, We've probably got loads of listeners literally going on it every day. What do you yes. actually know about it? So uh, yeah, I, I you go on it a lot, don't you? What do you know about it? Yeah, I... Yeah, very, very little. Uh, just dotted around some of the stations because, well, pre-pandemic, I was on it quite a bit. There's just got bits and pieces of the history. So I knew it was about 150 years old. And I think I'm right in saying it was. it's the first tube or the first underground railway network that was ever built in the world. But I think that was about it. No idea about how or why it really started. So yeah, good choice. It's been really interesting and I hope lots of people can learn some knowledge uh, from listening to this week's topic. Yeah, this is one of those topics though that, that there will be so many people listening to this that, that genuinely do go on the underground, uh, London Underground daily. And hopefully, you know, you, you will be able to share some knowledge about this once you've been on it. But I mean, we'll see. Let's find out. Definitely. Let's, let's tell you some things. Yeah, let's jump in then. So the reason for how the London Underground started is I found out it was a chap called Charles Pearson and he proposed it way back in 1843. He was a a London solicitor and he noticed that there could maybe be an improvement plan in the way of people moving around and he based it off the back of something that had already existed called the Thames Tunnel. Yeah, London was pretty congested, wasn't it, at this point? way back in the, in the day. I know everybody was in London, but the, the transportation system wasn't great. And what it meant was everybody pretty much had to live where they worked. You know, nowadays we, we can spread out because we can just yeah. get to our place of work. Whereas then everyone was living on top of each other. And they think it was massively more congested than it is now. Yeah, everybody that's what was I was reading. Ill. 
everybody, you know, everyone's getting ill and sick and there's masses of crime because literally everybody's living on top of everybody else. Um, so, yeah, the transportation needed changing and they needed to come up with a way of improving it, didn't they? And the only way of getting around was the roads and the streets back in the day. And so there, there wasn't any other option that they that they had. This is going back to like the, the mid 18, you know, 1830s or what have you. But the thing was, in this Victorian time, this is when there was a lot of like innovation or engineering was starting to happen. And London was sort of the hub of it. And it was just attracting more and more people. So it was getting more and more congested and yeah, coming up with all of those problems that Liam was saying about people living on top of each other. And then Mr. Mark Brunel and his son, who, who later became Sir Isambard Kingdom Brunel, right? They, uh, they came up with an idea to build a tunnel under the Thames. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So that was, yeah, and I mentioned a moment ago. So this is where this, this Charles Pearson, he sort of built off the back of this idea, this Thames tunnel. And this was really just a way of getting from one side of the Thames to the other side of the Thames by going underground. And it was the first sub aqua, I don't know what the right word is. Under it was like under river. It was the first people to they dug a tunnel under the river, didn't they? That was it. And um and then the thought was, well, hold on a minute. Perhaps we could put trains under this tunnel. Yeah. And and that's essentially where it came from. Um, so we're in like 1840-ish, 1842 possibly. But it wasn't uh, just as quick as that. So this this Charles Pearson had the idea and it took 10 years before Parliament would authorise it. And it was only a small amount by today's standards that they, they said, yeah, right, you can go ahead and do, it was 3.75 miles, which is about six kilometres of an underground rail between what is Farringdon Street and somewhere called Bishop's Road. It's since changed its name to Paddington. Yeah. So, well, that's how it basically started. They started digging tunnels, didn't they? But, um, and, and what have we got at the minute? Let's just bring it right up to speed. Uh, if we're doing the London Underground, we've now got 11 lines, about 270 stations. Do you read the annual passenger numbers? Do you remember? Do you read how many people go on the Underground every year? <laughs> yeah. There's about 1.3 billion journeys. That's mental. That's a big, <laughs> you know, a, a billion deliberately with a b about 1.3 billion journeys are made on the london underground each year the busiest station in the network is waterloo and they see about 100 million passengers a year which yeah is mind-boggling isn't it about 400 kilometers of um track underneath all around london it's not all underneath is it actually yeah it's 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 crazy there's some there's some crazy facts aren't there about stuff like this about only about 45 percent of it is in tunnels though isn't it not quite even half yeah so it's called underground it's called the underground yeah called the underground but only 45 percent of it is uh on the underground which is yeah a bit of a a misleading name but as, as we said it is actually then so if we're saying you know 1863 it is actually 158 years old now and there've been some some big changes along the way so we're talking about the trains that they used to have back then they're all steam trains steam operated um so they'd burn coal to move around but obviously now they're fully electric trains yeah to begin with we'll talk about it shortly like the first tunnels they built they're sending underneath these sort of coal and steam trains chugging along and it got a bit get a bit horrible underneath underground didn't it uh, (laughs) yeah but it was super popular apparently so despite all of these like sulfurous fumes and the the poison that was was coming out of it 
people just loved it and it was a real novelty for them. So apparently when it opened, approximately 40,000 people lined up just for the novelty of the ride to, to ride a train underground. You've got to imagine back then, this was sort of like mind-blowing engineering that, that had taken place. But within six months, there were 26,000 people riding it every day. And in the first year, there were over 9 million rides that happened. Um, but obviously we're saying now there's over 1 billion. But yeah, it was a, a popular thing from the off. Okay, so 1863 is when it opened. How did they make the first tunnels then? So the first sets of tunnels, it was the Metropolitan Line, wasn't it? It was made by a company called the Metropolitan Railway. Um, because at this time, the companies, they were like they were like private companies, weren't they? This wasn't the government building tubes for everybody. This was just nice. private companies out there. They, they have their own line and then they charge people to run it, which is why there's different lines, because different companies would make their own lines, essentially. Yes, yeah, and I love it how you were you were set, setting me up there nicely. I reckon for saying about how did they get these different these different tubes, these different tunnels that they were building. Interestingly, they didn't even start with tunnels, did they? No, they used something called the cut and they it's called cut and cover con- construction. So the first two lines, the Metropolitan Line in 1863, and the District Line, which is actually the Metropolitan District Railway in uh, 1867 um, they used something called the cut and cover construction which essentially is this they they followed the roads said all the yep. roads because they knew they wanted to follow the roads they didn't go underneath buildings at this point they followed the road they dug a massive trench just a huge hole like all the way along the road in the hole they built a tunnel so they, they were building a tunnel not underground they were building it in in the big channel they've dug out then they covered it back over didn't they yeah, that's so right. So they, they dug this massive trench and then like built the brick above, like half of it's underground, and they built brick above the other half of it, above the ground, if you like, which then enclosed it. But it, it makes sense to me thinking about it. We're traveling on the, the tube quite a bit. So those lines, they're obviously near the surface, or they're right on the surface, because yeah. they're they're just in a trench effectively. And it's just where you've got some lines where you can then still get mobile phone signal and some lines yep. where there's just not a chance where you can get signal. But obviously those ones, which were just the cut and cover technique, they're really close to the surface and that's yep. why you've still got your mobile signal. Yeah, the Metropolitan Line and then the Metropolitan District. So the Metropolitan Railway opened their line in 1863 and then the Metropolitan District Railway opened theirs in 1867 and they obviously couldn't call it the Metropolitan Line they to call as the district. So if you're on the metropolitan or the district line, you might find you've got a signal um, because they're so shallow. And then they just rebuilt the roads on top. So you've now got basically a road where everybody's walking on, but just underneath your feet, really not very far at all. There are tubes running straight underneath. Yeah. Um, so that that obviously, that's not sustainable because they, they can't, it was very destructive, wasn't it? You're basically trashing the place. You, yeah. all, you know, all the road, you can't use any road at any point while they're building these. So they had to sort of look about actual tunneling and we'll go back now. So just, just do you want to explain how the tunneling? Yeah. How did it actually work then? I I like what you were just saying there though, about the names of it. And it's one of the things that sort of puzzled me a little bit about why the names are called certain things. And it's just a really simple idea there where the Metropolitan Line was just named after the company that financed it. And similarly with the district line, it's just named yeah. after the, the the companies that built it. Nothing more meaningful than that, really. 
And very similarly to the Waterloo and City Railway Company, I wonder which line they opened, the Waterloo and City line. Um, very, <laughs> very interesting fact was nearly going to be my takeaway. Tell me which which underground line this company made. The Baker Street and Waterloo Railway. <laughs> I'm going to guess that's the Bakerloo line. Yeah, the Bakerloo line. So the Baker Street and Waterloo Railway opened the line, opened the, the, the Bakerloo line, or as it's now known. The, the term Bakerloo caught on so quickly that they changed the name of the line within four months. So imagine that. Imagine an opening yep. something. Yep. And everybody just calls it something else. But that, that name permeates so deeply with everybody that straight away, you got, we've got to change this. And they changed <laughs> it to the Bakerloo line. <laughs> I love that. So good. Um, so go on then. Yes. So how do we dig these tunnels then? So yeah, you, you're asking me. So this is, so we're, we're back in the, you know, the 1860s, 1870s, where, where we're at now. So this is where the, the Victorians, they were being really inventive. A lot of engineering and ingenuity was coming out. And we mentioned right at the start about the, the Thames Tunnel. And this was where they came up with a way of having a tunnel that would then go under the Thames for people to walk from one side to the other. And the way that they did it is it was developed by someone, someone called Mark Isambard Brunel. And you might have heard of that part of the name because there's someone called Isambard Kingdom Brunel, who's pretty famous in train in the train world. And it's actually his dad. So Mark Isambard Brunel, he came up with this idea of being able to, to drill and gouge out the earth to then come up with a tunnel. Yeah, he called it a tunnel shield, didn't he? So it was, it was essentially, because obviously the worry was tunnels would collapse. You know, that, it seems really obvious now. Um, but he came up with this this thing where you've basically got a lid above your head that's steel so the, the so that the the ceiling can't fall down and essentially everybody would stand underneath this they'd stand on like platforms so you'd end up with two or three people high maybe eight people wide in this big grid with it's the like shield grid, above yeah. Your head. yeah yeah and um but the shield's above your head so we're all in there there's like 30 of us all digging away our own little section you've got a little just a little sort of rectangle in front of you you dig that bit your mate next to you digs his bit you all dig just a little bit, and then the whole thing pushes forwards. And then the shield that's above your head just moves with you. And behind you, there was a bunch of like brick layers. That's it. And they would they would lay bricks up in the ceiling, bricks down the sides, bricks on the floor, so the whole thing could not collapse. And yes. that was pretty revolutionary, wasn't it? Yeah, massively. And so like you're saying, so there, there were 36 chambers in this big square grid, and you were just responsible for your part of this, this grid in digging out the earth with a shovel or a pickaxe, whatever it might be. It's manual labor, of course. You know, you're responsible for digging out your little bit in front of you. And I read that they used to make progress of about four inches a day. Yeah, that's not much, is it? But no, think about how big these tunnels are, you know? Yeah. You know, 40, it's a pretty vast sort of space isn't it yeah yeah absolutely you got to fit a train down there as well so yeah and then as exactly you said they had the brick layers quickly behind them to then fill it in and make sure that the or try and make sure that the structure wouldn't fall down but there were injuries and there, there were accidents that happened along the way you can well imagine and then there was a guy called peter william barlow and he came up with the idea of slightly changing the shield didn't he and he was the one who actually made it round and yeah he, he made it circular because he realized that a, a circular construction of, of like the bricks that you put in, they're much stronger because you make like an arch and an arch yeah. is much harder to, to collapse in on itself. Um, so he went a bit circular with it. 
And then jumping forwards a bit more to 1890, there's a guy called James Henry Greathead who invented something really famous in the tunneling world called the Greathead Shield. His, his theory was basically almost the same, but he pressurized the tunnel. So it basically pumped air into the tunnel so that it meant water couldn't seep in because there was, you know, it wasn't enough yes. space for the water to come in. Um, and uh, yeah, his tunnel was was pretty famous. His his um, it's called the Great Head Shield. But yeah, it's all come off the same thing. And uh, that's where we ended up with our first tunnels. Yeah. And we still use that today. So that that method hasn't changed from way back when. And so nowadays, all they've done is they've replaced the people who would be in each of those chambers. And there's now something called a rotating yeah. cutter head. And depending on the different soil or different parts of the world that it's been used in, there's just a different head that's put on the front of it to then gouge out the earth underneath. I read, yeah. interestingly, that London has very clay soil. So it means that it's quite difficult for to build skyscrapers on it. It's not ideal to have really high buildings, but it's absolutely brilliant for making tunnels and for it being soft enough to okay. dig out quite easily. So when we were yeah. saying about the underground, it, it was the first, it, they innovated the idea of coming up with it, but they then also had the tools and everything to go ahead and the conditions of the soil made it such that it could be the first underground in the world. Yeah. And then, and then the first actual tunnel was built, 1890, became the Northern Line. They yes. used the Great Head Shield, James Henry Great Head's plan. They made the Northern Line. Um, randomly, it was named after an, an, um, something called the Northern Heights expand, Northern Heights Extension or Expansion, which was abandoned, but the northern part just caught, and everybody, you know, referred to it as the Northern Line. 1890, they were digging it, like, and that's the first actual tunnel underground. But as so, you mentioned earlier, it's the third line in total, isn't it? Yeah, and then nine years later, we got the Waterloo and City Line. It was called the drain at the time because it was the deepest one. So they okay. obviously they've built the Northern line. Now that, you know, everyone starts getting a bit more comfortable about digging tunnels and stuff. Perhaps, you know, go a little bit lower. Yeah. Water than city line open. Central line just a year later, 1900. You, you were telling me something about the, the name of the central line, weren't you? Yes. Yeah, it was actually where part of the tube name came from in the first place. So, so the central line used to cost tuppence to ride. And so it got called the two penny tube. And that's sort of where, as long as well as it being a tube shape, where the whole name of the tube sort of originates from as well. Yeah. So that's 1900. So we've now got five lines. 1906, Bakerloo line opened, which I've already said is the Baker Street and Waterloo Railway. Um, Rumour has it, by the way, the Bakerloo line opened because a group of, I think they must have been quite wealthy people, wanted to get to Lords to watch the cricket. Okay. And uh, they they funded it. They, they wanted a quicker way of getting to and from the cricket. And when it opened... It was on a day that there was no cricket and like nearly 40,000 people used it on the day it opened, even though there's no cricket on. So it was obviously needed regardless. So. Yeah. Nice. And then like 1906, see if you can guess what this line became known as. Okay. So this was made this in 1906, a line was made by a company called the Great Northern Piccadilly and Brompton Railway. <laughs> oh, that Great must be the Northern Piccadilly and Brompton Railway. Is what it was That's called. got to be the Brompton line, surely. <laughs> Yeah, well, that famous blue Brompton line. Now that's the Piccadilly <laughs> line. And what's interesting here is, right, so how many is that? Metropolitan District, Northern, Three, Waterloo, Central, Bakerloo and Piccadilly. That's seven lines. That's 1906 we're at now. And and that's that, that sort of, that's the end of private companies digging tunnels. 
at that point. That's sort of the last time anyone was doing it yes. for money. That to wasn't like the government. Yeah, the government yeah. weren't doing it. Because um, the next one, the Circle Line didn't open until 1949. So it was like 43 years later. Yes. Yeah, know, yeah. Where, where you've had all these other lines opening within like every couple of years. I suppose there are a couple of wars and stuff in between. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that is true, actually. Yeah, that probably didn't help. Slowed stuff down and yeah, where the funds um, went. But it's interesting you saying about when the government then got involved, because they, they were involved in making the Victoria Line, weren't they? Yeah, and it took about 25 years from like conception and like deciding that it's going to happen to uh starting it i got a really good fact about the, the victoria line as well okay have this right let me just say this one more time right the baker street and waterloo railway became the bakerloo line yep. right okay the victoria line was originally going from victoria to king's cross what name do you think that they were gonna call it at one point before they called it the victoria line it was going from victoria to king's cross Victoria Cross. No, not a bad shout. You want one more guess? The Vic King. Yeah, go on. Now say that properly. The Viking. The Viking line. They were going to call okay. it the Viking line. <laughs> um, but it ended up being called the Victoria line. And it was the first automatic passenger railway in the world. It was fully equipped with an automatic train operation system, um, which meant that at the touch of a button, the train doors would close and it would drive automatically to the next station. Nice. I like the little one about the Jubilee line and why when you look on the tube map, it's silver. And it's because of the, the Queen's Jubilee, wasn't it? Yeah, which was in 1977, but the Jubilee line opened in 1979. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the one that got delayed. I think it was supposed to open in 77, but then, yeah, it didn't actually open until 70. Yeah, and then... 1990, Hammersmith and City, or the, the Hammer, yeah. Is it, uh, you know this better than me. Is it called the Hammersmith and City line or the Hammersmith line? No, Hammersmith and City. Okay. Um, and here's an interesting fact about the Hammersmith and City line. It has no unique stations. That is, every station on the Hammersmith and City line is shared with a different yeah. line. It has, it has okay. none of its own. Okay. Ah, oh, doesn't have any of its own. It has to share. Yeah. And, and then there's another one open, in there. I don't know. I, you know, I hear about this on the news, but I just sort of black out. It's called the Crossrail? Yeah, this is the Victoria Line. No, this is the Elizabeth Line, isn't it? So this is the one that's a new one and extends way out of of London. I think it, it looks goes like on... Reading, doesn't it? Reading and Heathrow sort of area. Yeah, it goes, then, goes Reading all the way, way through London, side. all the way over to, to Essex on the other side as well. So it's it's a long old line. But um, yeah, that's that's the, the the latest one. And that's that was massively delayed, cost a load of money. Mm. But it's yeah. now it's now open, I believe. Oh. Well, we'll see. All right. So they're all our lines. Um, you know, if you've been to London, you may or may not know they're all different colours. Green, yellow, pink, brown, blue, red, silver, purple, light blue, black. <laughs> um, you know, it's quite easy, though, because on a map, you can see all the different colours, can't you? Which beautiful segue by me into, should we talk about the map, the London Underground map? So the map came about in 1933, and it was designed by a chap called Harry Beck. And this, this guy, Harry Beck, he was a, an engineer. He worked on the London Underground Signalling Office, and he thought there's a better way to put together the maps. Because if you ever look at some of the original maps, and we'll post these up on our, on our Instagram and on our Twitter and Facebook for you to see, 
they are super confusing <laughs> and all, like all of the, the the stations are crammed together and they're all um like they the writing is all you know skew with just trying to cram everything in because the old maps used to be based on geography and the topography of of London whereas what Harry Beck decided is he looked at it he had his engineering mind and he thought I'm going to design this like it was an electronic circuit board. And when he did it, it was revolutionary. It took a couple of years for it to actually catch on and for the London Underground to adopt it. But it's made everything so much more simple, hasn't it? Yeah, basically, yeah. He, he sacked off geography and just just evenly spaced every station. And he went with like straight angular lines, not not anything like the curvy lines that the trains really do. And that that was game changing. And that's it, it really hasn't changed much in the last 80, nearly 80 years. Um, yeah. he, he sold it though, didn't he? Um, they, they agreed to buy it off him the, the plan for 10 pounds, which was yes. the equivalent of about 600 quid in today's money. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think probably but, one a bit more punties than that. But if you have a look at it, if you have a look at it, you might think certain stations are west of another station, or you might think that they're, they're east of another station where actually in real life, it could be, they're not really west, they're north of it. Yeah. Or yeah. you know, a yeah, completely don't use different it as a walking direction. map. No, definitely don't use it as a walking map because you'll end up getting yourself lost. But it's such a simple, simple, simple map compared to what they originally came up with. But yeah, that, so that was in 1933. Um, but there've been different uses for the the underground as well, haven't there? So one, it had a slightly different use. We sort of touched on it or mentioned it earlier. That about the war, people used it in a different way. Yeah, well, basically, it's air raid shelters, didn't they? Um, uh, you know, and, and by the end of the war, it was sort of like a little community of itself. You know, they had like concerts and hair salons and and all kinds of things going on under there, just basically to keep everybody safe, wasn't it? Particularly through the Blitz and when the air raids are out and things like that. But yeah, weirdly, really. they they didn't want people using it as air raids to begin with, so they okay. they they dis they discouraged people and said, no, you're you're not allowed to use it. And they didn't think it was a sensible thing to be doing. But by the end of the war, the government had then come around to thinking, actually, this does make... And they couldn't stop people. People would just go in there anyway. Um, And so they ended up being so regular that there was then a ticketing system that was then introduced so that people could then get themselves down underground and know that they could keep safe and people not be panicking, like crushing themselves to run into into the the tubes to then get under there. And there were more than 22,000 bunk beds that were installed for people who would then be there overnight or whatever. So it's, yeah, a lot of a lot of people being able to stay under there safely. And they used it to keep other things safe, didn't they, during the war? Like bits from the museums? Yeah, like they, yeah, artefacts from the British Museum. They held it at somewhere called the Oldwich Spur Line. I don't know yeah, much about so, that. Well, I can tell you something about the Oldwich Spur Line. It's uh, abandoned now. I think a spur line, I don't know enough about trains, but I think a spur line is when it just sort of goes off on its own and it just goes to like one place. Okay. And then like the rest of the train carries on. And uh, basically people stopped going there and the the, uh, the the station is abandoned, which beautifully brings us into, uh, you know, we we when we were talking to each other about this, we found out there's a bunch of abandoned stations, isn't there? Yes. Like, yeah, yeah. They just don't exist. So yeah, they yeah there are forty nine abandoned or ghost stations as they're known like throughout the network, which seems like loads to me. So what do we say? Are there there two hundred and seventy two hundred and seventy active stations, 
but then you've got near enough another 50. And there, there could actually be, there's some debate because it depends, The high, it's higher than 49 if you're then including some stations which started to get built and never actually finished being built or some that got yeah. built and then didn't have platforms put in place. And so it could actually be a little bit higher, but 49 abandoned stations that are dotted around. And there's a yeah. couple of funny stories about why some of them were, were abandoned. Did you read the one about South Kentish Town? Well, I, I didn't read why it was abandoned, but I did read that it opened in 1907. And then in 1908, drivers had already started ignoring the need to stop there. So it pretty <laughs> much stopped being a station pretty soon. They, they basically stopped, don't they? Because passengers don't use them or new lines were built and new stations were built elsewhere and they just became, people just weren't using them. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, yeah, just like anything really. Interestingly, I was reading that the London expanded north and west basically based on the tube. So there, there wasn't okay. really anything around there to begin with. They ended up putting in these tube stations and then those areas built up. Yeah, so it's I guess like chicken it, and egg. Yeah, yeah, it? yeah. So I guess it makes sense. You're saying about a, sta- a station can get abandoned because people stop using it. There is one York Road, which is, is abandoned because people don't use it. But it's in an area, I, I don't know London, I don't know what this means. It's an area called Cold Drops Yards or Granary Square, which is an area which is obviously being developed. Okay. And now let's talk about reopening it because, you know, the area that it was in, nobody went to. And now actually, you know, you know how London is, find a spot of land, start building on it. Suddenly this area is getting a bit more busy, maybe a bit more cosmopolitan. Oh, we need a tube station. Oh, hang on. There is actually one under here. Yeah. Let's just okay. use this one. So I don't know. There's talk perhaps that it might reopen, but. Nice. No, that sounds quite good. Did you read anything about the logo, the London Underground logo? No, I didn't. I just wanted to know sort of where it came from. And that, okay, it's proper famous, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah, it's, it's everywhere. And and what they've done is very cleverly marketed, haven't they? Like every piece of transport in London is now they've got edited versions of the same logo, like taxis yeah. and buses and yep. all those sorts of things. Essentially, what it was, it started out as. Even back in 1906, right, there were posters all over London Underground and advertisements everywhere. So what they did, they started by saying, like, what we're going to have a, a like a big white square where there is no advertisements, and we're just going to have a blue sort of rectangular box saying the station, like a street logo. Okay. Yeah, just, just like a rectangular box saying Paddington or whatever. But then they realised, actually, every sign all over the place, every sign telling you where you are looks the same. It's They all look like they're blue rectangles with a name of the street in. So... Somebody came up with the idea just to let's put a big red dot behind it, like a big red target, just to make that blue little logo okay. stand out a little bit more. Like this is the station name. Any other blue things you see, they are just street names or whatever it might be. Yeah, um, I like that. That's basically, that's basically all it was. It was just they just needed it to stand out more than the normal sign. Well, I, um, I read the thing that I had read about the logo is that the the blue and red logo is recognised as the oldest corporate brand that's oh, wow. ever ever been around and it's inspired other similar underground designs around the world so sort of people have latched onto it and you might know in your own country people who are listening abroad that your underground sign sort of looks 80 similar. plus countries 80 plus countries could be anywhere then we might have <laughs> someone in papua new guinea for all we know yeah it invented the, 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 the font tube sign like <laughs> the, the font it's called the johnston font and uh, it came from the 1920s, a guy called Edward Johnston invented the font on a London Underground logo. And then that font itself became a thing. 
Nice. So there's so many little facts and bits of trivia, isn't there, about the London Underground that's that's quite interesting to to dip into. Maybe do you want to throw out a couple that could have been takeaways, but haven't quite there's too made many. There is too many. There's too many of these. Like we could be doing this backwards and forwards. We'd have penalty shootout. We can come up with the best five facts. All right. <laughs> Shortest distance between two adjacent stations. You know what this is? Uh, Leicester Square and Piccadilly. No, Leicester Square and Covent Garden. Ah, okay. But like, you know, I've been there with you. We've walked that. It takes two seconds. Okay. It only takes about 20 seconds on the tube to do that, to do that, that trip. It's the Uh, most pointless tube journey, isn't it? That you can do. I was reading that the fastest line is the Metropolitan line and trains can reach speeds of up to 60 miles an hour, which is whipping along some, but usually the average speed is around 20 and a half miles an hour. Yeah, but but there are 14 journeys between stations that take less than a minute. Nice. Okay. Around the London, talking about those. <laughs> That's the, a good one, isn't it? The deepest underground station is Hampstead on the Northern Line, which is about 192 feet below street level. Ooh. That's pretty deep, I guess. And what, what about the record for visiting all the stations on the London Underground Network? It's called the Tube Challenge. You go to every station on the Underground Network. Do you, did you read about this? I, Any idea, Alan? I think I did, but I didn't write anything about this. Is this like 15 hours? Yeah, si- well, 16 hours, 14 minutes, and okay. 10 seconds by a guy called Ronan McDonald and Clive Burgess. <laughs> in 2015 maybe we could send them a message see if they wanted to uh, let us know how that went if anybody's listening is a fan of escalators if you want to go to the longest moving escalator then you need to be heading to angel station on the northern line that's where you need to go to all right last one before i tell you my real one okay the london underground is so british that the russian word in russian the russian word for underground train station is voxal Right. Okay. Which you might think sounds very similar to something else. That's because apparently a Russian delegate visited London's Vauxhall station way back when to like they were showing off technology and things. And Vauxhall station at the time was a bit of a hub station. So it meant he kept going to Vauxhall station. Now, obviously, London's the only place with an underground. So when he moves back to Russia and they start building these underground train stations, okay. he needed a word for underground train station. And he went <laughs> with Vauxhall. Now I don't know. I've read. I've read varying. I, I, I had to check that, and I read a couple that say that is true, and a couple of things that say it's not true. So I, I don't know. If we've got any Russian listeners out there, though, what is the Russian word for underground train station? Is it Vauxhall? That'd be good. And then my my last one that didn't quite make it for a takeaway is saying that the average Londoner spends eleven and a half days each year on the tube. Oh, okay. Right. My actual my actual takeaway then. My actual actual takeaway is um, as follows. Very short. Cockney rhyming slang for the underground. Now, if we've got listeners not from around London, you might have been, if you've ever been in London, you notice they've got this funny language where they sort of say things that, that don't seem to mean anything, but it's, it's to do with rhyming. So, for example, the stairs are... Apples and pears. Apples and pears. And if you were to go up the pub, you'd be going to the... The nuclear, the nuclear sub. Yeah, okay. So the London Underground, Cockney rhyming slang. So if you're in your own country and you could say this tomorrow, you say, right, I've got to go get on the OXO. And it's called an OXO because... I don't know. (laughs) Because of the OXO cube, the tube. (laughs) (laughs) 
So if you're in, yeah, wherever you're in, Paris, Moscow, whatever, don't matter. You, you know, right, <laughs> we've got to go to work, got to get on the OXO. That means you're getting on the OXO cube, which is the tube. <laughs> we need that fact-checked by a Londoner. I've never heard it called the OXO. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Go on, what's yours? So my two guys, one topic takeaway is a very quick one this week. This is a nice little bit of trivia. There is only one tube line that connects with all other underground lines. Oh, nice. Which is? Well, let me guess. Um, Waterloo and City. No, that's not very Bakerloo. big. No. Bakerloo. I don't no. live there. The circle line, that goes round and round, doesn't it? Could that be the one? Maybe. Could no, be. It, uh, no, I don't know. Jubilee line. Yes, the Jubilee line. Yes. There's a little Third bit of a, a fact for you. So the Jubilee line is the, the only tube line that connects with all other underground lines. Nice. All right. Well, I've got to say, I've really enjoyed learning about the London Underground this week. I think I've learned loads of things that I uh, wouldn't have known. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to tell people about the cut and cover method for digging them, 100%. You know, remember, that's on the Metropolitan and the District line. They were not dug as actual tunnels. Uh, Bakerloo line, because of the Baker Street and Waterloo Railway, 100%. I'm going to remember that as well. And, um, yeah, I like, I like the thoughts of, you know, you're going to see the map. I'm going to see them every time I see the London Underground map now. I'm going to know that is not geographic, and it is because of this guy, Harry Beck, came up with it. Amazing. At exactly the same as you with everything that you've just picked up there so we have just covered liam's topic which thank you liam that was a super interesting one not a problem at all really hope that people out there have enjoyed listening to that one and we need to announce what next week's topic is going to be and we had a vote so we were running it on our, our instagram at two guys one topic where we asked everybody what topics they'd like us to cover we had loads of brilliant suggestions um, some that we've not even thought of doing before because we've got a list of them that we want to cover. And Liam, should we do a drum roll? Can you let everybody know what the listener choice is going to be? Okay. Yes, Ollie, I can let you know. I can let our listeners know what our, our episode will be next week. Um, but there's just a couple that didn't quite make the cut, but you know, they were second vote that equal second. And actually, we quite liked them. So we might do these next series. One of them was the Northern Lights. Which, yeah, big shout out for that suggestion was JD Knight. Yeah, and uh, the other one we quite liked was Loch Ness or the Loch Ness Monster. Yeah, that, that was a particular favourite of mine. That is by R underscore Prokic. Yep, so there are two. We might actually do those, by the way, um, you two. So thanks for voting for those. But the number one choice and next week's Two Guys, One Topic topic is going to be, drum roll, coffee yeah looking forward to it thank you very much for amy underscore g7 so yeah amy on instagram for suggesting that that got the most votes and we're looking forward to jumping into it as a topic if amy is listening to this and she wants to let us know anything we'd like she'd like us to find out by all means get in contact with us and we might might be able to do that sounds good Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We really hope you've enjoyed it. We've really enjoyed learning more about the London Underground this week. Hopefully you've managed to pick up some things as well. Feel free to get in contact with us at Two Guys One Topic on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. It would be great to hear from you. Otherwise, we'll be back next week with Amy's listener choice of coffee. 
Thank you very much, everybody. Get out there and share some London Underground knowledge. <laughs>